To the Old Man Orange Podcast. I'm Spencer Scott Holmes. And I'm Ryan Dunnigan. And as the first episode, I guess, of 2017, I think it's time to go back and reflect on all the gifts we were given in entertainment, well, as far as movie entertainment, in 2016. Because you gotta be, you still gotta pay for, but gifts you gotta pay for, but you gotta be grateful that they're there. I think that's the thing is people kind of forget about that when it comes to entertainment. I think people are so spoiled nowadays that they forget that. We have all this great stuff, and even if you have to throw out a couple bucks here and there, it's really nothing in the long run, you know, for all this fabulous entertainment we get. Movie-wise, nonetheless, there was tons of good movies. Maybe not as strong as the last couple years, because it felt like we had a couple years of just like, oh my god, there was just too many good movies, like, in a row. But 2016... Well, truth be told, I didn't actually see as many movies this year, because, you know, before, if, like, a Woody Allen movie or just some random artsy movie came out chances are i go see it this year i was c- kind of scrolling down or by myself but oh, i didn't see that i wanted to see fences oh i wanted to see uh birth of a nation wanted to see that uh solely movie just a lot of movies i wanted to but just didn't get around to so i'm not gonna lie my list is totally genre filled <laughs> there's like very few artsy like independent shit on my on my uh list right here and that's okay because the whole point of our list is the fact that it's more like a personal list of the things that we like because the thing i I feel myself is that we like movies that are much different than the norm. So our list is never going to be the same as a lot of critics lists. It's never going to be the same as maybe the average Joe's list. And that's what I really like about it is our stuff is like, we like certain <laughs> movies a lot more than some other people do. And I think that gives them a lot more respect anyways in the long run. And I think we should just start off right here. What the, Hey, we're going to do a top 15 list, not a top 10 because there is still enough movies. It's like, eh, might as well throw them on there. I mean, it's either that or you're going to have, like, uh, honorable mentions, which really is, at the same time, a top 15 list at the end of the day. So let's just do a top Might 15. as well be. Yeah. So I don't know who wants to start off. We're just going to climb up the top with a you-go-I-go style of um, movie explaining. So Okay. And if we have the same movie, we, we won't probably cover it twice. We're like, oh, yeah, that was a good movie. We have the same movie on the list. Well, yeah. So, unless uh, it's not like we got, like, we, like, forgot. <laughs> like, we're, like, gold. Let's just like, talk about it again. We just really got to sink it in. <laughs> but I don't care. No, but, um, Do you want to go first or you want me to go first? I'll go first since I'm, I'm looking at it right here. Okay. Uh, my number 15 is the Paul Rudd movie, Fundamentals of Caring. And uh, did you see that? No, I didn't. I didn't even hear about that movie, to tell you the truth. Uh, it was a... Uh, There's a great way to start this off. <laughs> Look at, we're going to talk about <laughs> movies. Here's a movie. I didn't even hear about it. The fuck is that? Yeah. No, it's it was... Well, it was actually a Netflix original. I think it was a small i think i like a small like um independent circuit run and then it went on to netflix and basically it's this it's this uh, dramatic comedy about paul rudd who is pretty depressed and pretty just kind of like almost done with life but and he's kind of just figures he'll try to become a um a uh, a, a like a a caregiver to a kid in a wheelchair oh and you know that, kid, that now that you mentioned that i think i do remember that one sorry to cut you off no, it's all right. And uh, basically, it's I'm not going to lie. It is kind of like one of those sappy, feel-good movies. But I think there's kind of enough different about it that makes it kind of stand out. And there's nothing and, wrong with that anyways. But I think 
feel good movies are always good. Sometimes they look like they try a little bit hard, but I think that's more the trailer than anything else. Uh And the relationship between him and the kid, like when he first comes in, because it's a kid, I don't remember what the kid has exactly, but he's in a wheelchair and needs his medication every couple of hours. Otherwise he dies. He has a very strict routine. And he is a uh, he's he's British. He's he's this little he's this British kid. First, when he's talking to the to the um, the kid's mom, he comes running in, going, just slapping his hands, like just like ramming into him. Just like I'm sorry, I'm I wore cologne today. Does that upset him? Does that bother him? Then he turns around, and says like. He thinks a fucking retard's gonna lose his shit over cologne, you know. <laughs> so he's just like, "You shouldn't say that word." I know, I'm not shouldn't, but you know what I mean. <laughs> so it's funny. like, um, and then basically the kid has this long list of places he wants to go to, but it's kind of a big deal since he can't see very many things. He since he ha- he has this very strict routine, and he's kind of even apprehensive himself. Like the kid will talk shit, but the second it comes to all right, time to do it. He gets a little, um, I, I don't know. And you know, it's a, it's just a, it's a road trip comedy. They of course meet a girl played by, uh, what's it's the pop star. Um, she, she's not bad. She doesn't really blow me away in the movie, but Selena Gomez, she's not bad in the movie. Oh but, yeah. That, ch- that chick. Yeah. Yeah. And as it goes on, it's, you know, it's, it's actually a good movie. I recommend it. And there's, um, it's, you know, just nice, feel good movie. Huh. And what was the title of that one again? Uh, the fundamentals of caring. Fundamentals of caring. Yeah, yeah. There always sounds like there's all these good Netflix movies, but it always feels like that's a, just another avenue of just you know, like it seems like all the time they got something brand new each week. So it's like, oh Jesus Christ, that's practically a movie theater in itself now. They are at the point where they are kind of like more of a network than almost like because they'll have like they'll have stuff you've seen a thousand times. Or they might have like, oh, here's a brand new movie you didn't really want to pay to rent or anything like that. But then they'll have like. Oh, they got all these their own original shows and the occasional random original movie, which a lot of the movies are really good. But then you get things like uh, you get like the random like, well, then you get on a sci-fi channel. So here's this one. But um, yeah. Fundamentals of Caring actually is really good. It is pretty heartfelt and um, more since I don't want to spoil too much of it, but more stuff unfolds. And when you kind of see what Paul Rudd's really sad about in his actual tragedy, you are just kind of like, oh, damn, that's what Jesus. But it's still a good movie. Huh? Awesome. I got I got to check that one out at some point. Well, going on, my number 15 is Final Fantasy 15 Kingsglaive. And I That's didn't put two and two together that it was 15 and 15. It just kind of happened to be that way. I wanted to see it after playing the game. I eventually started playing the game. And that's the thing. It's one of those kind of movies like, I don't think this movie's nearly as important to somebody if they didn't play the game. In fact, it might be slightly confusing. But beyond that, what this movie to me represents is when I watch this one, it's just like, holy fuck is that cg good and i've never really been the biggest cg fan but when it comes to video games that can always sway me so this worked really well in that sense but i looked at this and i was like this right here is the future of fucking fantasy sci-fi movies you won't fucking need you know in a sense big expensive actors anymore because the thing that's going to be your main selling point is going to be the title of your game or whatever you're doing and that's all you're going to need so you can save tons of money and actually put it back into the movie in a sense and have these sweet movies and in Kingsglaive, it's just like, yeah, it was just showing it off so good. But I thought at the same time, one, it fills in a little bit of the void in Final Fantasy XV because, you know, in the game you're playing, it's like all of a sudden it's like, oh, fuck, your hometown's been attacked. You know, your father's dead. All this shit's going down. You're like, what? Oh, God, what's going on? Maybe they'll explain it. And then, no, they don't really in the game. But it's like, oh, I know why. Because there's a movie. There's a movie mm-hmm. to explain this. A whole two hours. It's, that's another thing, too. It's, yeah, it's fucking two hours long of pure, like, amazing CG, like the best CG you could possibly ever see. 
is the movie like does it take place over the course of a couple of days or is it literally like one day well, it starts off, and it's kind of like, here's Noctis. He's age 10. It's the first time he meets Unifreya. And this is probably where you already lose everybody who's, like, never played the game. Yeah. But, you know, it kind of shows how they kind of met. And it's kind of a story more about Noctis's father and him kind of running the kingdom and having to kind of change over and work with the other kingdoms and, you know, the fate of his hands happening. And then he's got his bodyguard, who in the American version is played by Aaron Paul. And which you, as well as one's like, that's always those weird things. Like, they got Aaron Paul do the voice, which you would never even notice unless the credits came up. Not saying so you think it's Aaron Paul, but you know, it's just one of those ones. Like, just, his voice kind of sit just to blends in. He doesn't really have a very yeah. distinctive voice. Well, it's just kind of a weird one, too. It's like, were you going to sway over a couple like 45 year olds that really like Breaking Bad? They're like, well, I never wanted to watch this Final Fantasy thing, but I do like that Breaking Bad boy. A lot of people from our generation love Breaking Bad, though. I know it's that's like one well, of the yeah, but I'm talking about few like, catch like, No, yeah, they try to sway people over. I'm not talking about that. It seems like the people of our generation are already into Final Fantasy. You see what I mean? I think it's one of those things where I just think it's like they probably just having a, a big actor or a few big actors probably feels like it adds some legitimacy to it. Whether it actually helps in the marketing or not, I don't think it will. But I think it just kind of like, you know, it makes it seem a little bigger to the average person, maybe, or maybe just gives it that, you know, gets that across. Well, yeah, that's I mean, and I think that's to try to sell it to the non gamers because gamers don't give a fuck about that. Like, that's one thing that they don't that does not bother them to actually have. They are totally fine with your good old fashioned voice actors. They don't. In fact, they almost want that more than the, you know, actors. You know, that's almost like a movie department. I know that sounds like old fashioned, like they, they don't really need a cross, but. In my opinion, I guess it's always that thing. It's like you got these fabulous voice actors who are like so amazing. It's like don't take away don't take away their jobs. Just you know, re, you know, a regular actor who's you know amazing in their own way. But you know, it's that kind of thing. And once again, like I like Aaron Paul, so I'm not saying anything against that. But I feel like that's why they put those kind of people in there is try to sell it to you know mom and pop to say, hey, come check out Final Fantasy. Which I just I just kind of wonder. It's like, does that really work? Oh, the Pinkman boys in it. Okay, yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. I love meth now. Ever since him, I started doing it myself. <laughs> Figure, well, what the heck? You know, that Walter White guy seemed like a nice guy, you know, before the shade dead and all that. Yeah. It all worked out for them. <laughs> but no, that's what my number 15 is, is Final Fantasy Kingsglaive, because I just think that movie is a humongous step forward in a sense of movie making. But I don't think it really got the recognition that it deserves. Mm, right on. That's very fitting that it's at your 15. Yeah, and that kind of worked out that way, too. So, moving on to 14. My 14 is uh, Moana, which uh, the thing about Moana was I sometimes, if it's some, if the movie's kind of like, uh, to quote Wesley Snipes from Blade, like ice skating uphill, if the movie's kind of doing that for me, like there's already certain something about it that I know that isn't my thing, but then it still manages to pull me in. I kind of like the movie a little more. Like, if mm-hmm. you told me this movie had singing in it before going to see it, I wouldn't have been like, fuck this, this is fucking stupid. My my interest would have dropped pretty quickly. And then, you know, I really didn't know, even though it's called Moana, I assumed it was more about, I didn't really know the names of the characters or anything, I assumed it was more about the rock character. This is literally just kind of like the <laughs> like market testing for like, we don't know if Bioshock's going to sell well, 
So put Booker in the front instead of Elizabeth, you know? So yeah, that kind of marketing strategy. You know, it's just kind of, it was kind of like the big buff guy with the giant hook. All right, I'll see that movie. And he's voiced by The Rock. And they go, oh, that must be Moana right there. And then it turns out it's a princess movie and they're singing. But sure enough, though, um, you know, just the animation. I always like I never. Here's the thing about about these kind of Disney movies. It's easy to like kind of let the, the the like you know the macho like alpha male side of your brain say these are fucking girls, dude. But you actually watch it. Oh, it's actually kind of a good movie. And uh, Moana was that to me. So when I was watching it, I was like, oh, so this is a princess movie. Also, they're singing. And then as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, it actually you know I warmed up to it. And uh, you know the, the still the best part of the movie to me was the Rock. He's probably the favorite my favorite character in the movie he was funny he was likable still pretty flawed in certain ways and then you also had um the song by jimmy i think i'm always have approach prancing the turtle his song uh the the, the crab jimmy Clement. Oh, yeah the crab crab turtle god I've, yeah I, yeah i guess it's been too long since i've seen the movie something with a shell <laughs> yeah yeah his uh his whole song shiny by dave basically it sounds like a david bowie song like no, that, that right awesome. there yeah, like I listened to that several times on Spotify, and that's a really good song. For that song by itself, it kind of gets back up there. Plus, just you know, the art direction, the comedy is actually pretty good for the most part. You know, it seems like something that's going to run out of steam pretty quickly. And even though it goes by your standard Disney formula, it presents it different enough to you know make it more enjoyable and seem like fresh. Yeah, that's definitely true. It definitely felt like, even though it was your standard formula in a sense. There hasn't been a ton of stuff, you know, in Hawaii, at least not for a while. Nowadays, it seems like now Hawaii is like the comeback thing. It's like you get Pokemon in Hawaii, you get Moana, you know, you got The Rock is like your number one actor of all time. So it's like it all kind of comes together. But I also think choosing The Rock is like a real smart thing because you'll get all those guys like myself. Are like, oh, me there. I'll see anything The Rock's in. I just like him that much. It's like I don't care what he's doing. This might be spoiling your list, but did you see him in that Kevin Hart movie? I didn't, and I do still want to see it. And I, I remember somebody told me who like likes The Rock a lot. Oh, you remember Buddy? He was there when yeah. we saw Moana. Uh -huh. Well, he was like, dude, he's like, The Rock just is so amazing. That movie, you'll even forget about Kevin Hart. That's how good The Rock is. All so right. it's like, oh, I, I, I got to see that movie at some point. You know what I mean? I felt, I almost, I was going to see it in the theaters and just somehow, some way it slipped. And then you know how that goes. Yeah. But eventually I will see it because it's just, I just got to like The Rock. Even, even if you got to put with Kevin Hart and, you know, him just trying to be Chris Tucker, Eddie Murphy, just in a short man version. I don't know. Mm -hmm. No, I guess. Yeah. Where do we leave off at 14 now? That was 14. Yeah, that was 14. Cool. Well, boy, it feels like, OK, well, what is all our intro movies? Let's go CG fist. OK, my 14 is Sausage Party. Oh, yeah. Sausage Party was really good. Sausage, and it sounds kind of weird for it being that far back because I actually consider it almost like the perfect comedy. There is literally nothing wrong in it for a comedy. And it's weird for me to say that being a Seth Rogen movie because that's generally not something I'd ever say. But maybe since it's CG, that kind of like puts this like layer in front, it puts a film in front of me that blocks it and kind of like confuses my brain. It's okay. It's not Seth Rogen. It's just the animated wiener running around. I'd rather watch an animated wiener than Seth Rogen. Yeah, that's a little bit more relatable for myself. <laughs> but that movie, just like, like all around in that film, it was just the fact that like they had great actors in there kind of playing stuff. I mean, even Seth Rogen, like he wasn't over the top like he normally is. So he, I felt like he was a better thing. And then just the fact that just using all the food like as stereotypes, 
almost made it this great movie about how to like embrace that and be fine with everybody else. And it doesn't matter that these things are all different. You know, everybody can, you know, be friends with each other in the long run. They just learned how to live with each other. And then even just having the aisles. I love that. Like in the movie too, like, you know, each aisle they'd go down was almost like a continent or a country or something like that. It's like, Oh, you know, we're going into like the Mexican aisle. So it's pretty much like a Western or, you know, we'll go into, um, the Bratwurst Isle, where it's pretty much all like Nazis and everything like that. And then eventually they keep talking about this, like the Dark Isle and the Red Isle and everything like that. And then you realize it's like, oh, that's where all the cooking utensils are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and this is why they fear this area. And it's just like all that stuff I thought was so perfect. And then the top it off, the comedy was amazing. And I know the comedy was a little bit too extreme for some people because I've talked to a lot of people afterwards who are like, oh man, that movie was kind of, I don't know if I could take that. Especially when it got to the sex scene. I was pretty much just turned that movie off by that point. And you're like, really? What the fuck's wrong with you? Like, fucking pussy. Well, there's a lot of people I really don't get that because it's often most of the time – I don't know what it is. It's often, you know, like got like bros hang out of Applebee's on a crazy pussy hunt. do like there's doing cocaine, pussies when it comes to comedy. Doing cocaine that are kind of like, like, I don't know, man, Extra Born Killers. That, that movie was too much for me. It was just like, look, you know, I mean, if, if it's not your movie or you don't like it, that's fine, whatever. I know that movie's definitely not for everybody. But it's just when you get to that being like, no, move, man, morally, that movie's weird to me. That movie's just, well, like, I couldn't handle it. It's just like, are you, are you, like, you, know, you know, it's one of those things I know trying, I mean, I'm not trying to talk about, like, let me put it this way. I don't mean like, oh, if you're going to get pussy, then you're, you don't like natural born kill. It's just two different things, but it's more like that aspect of kind of like total alpha male kind of like, yeah, man, let's go fucking party and get fucking wasted. Are the guys who are often like, I couldn't handle that gay humor or I couldn't handle the weird, like religious humor, you know? Well, that's, yeah, no, that's totally the thing, though, is I've met people before that are these kind of guys that just seem like, yeah, I just always out, like, all the pussy hunt, and I'm driving a motorcycle, and I can drink, like, 30 beers, and they, so they just try to make themselves, like, yeah, such the alpha male, this kind of, like, big rebel, like, bad boy, and then it's funny that the thing that cripples them always is comedy. It's funny <laughs> that, I don't know what it is, but, like, comedy cripples the alpha male, almost. The guy who thinks he's so cool, if you wanted to feed him, you got to defeat him with comedy. It always has worked. That's why, like, even back in the old-fashioned King's days, you know, the, the jester could come in and he could defeat that with comedy. But I've noticed that throughout my entire life. I just noticed, yeah, a lot of times the more bro somebody is, the more of a pussy they are when it comes to comedy. Like, they can't handle hardcore comedy. What if it's something to the effect of, like, you know what? I was really relating to the nick kroll character i liked him a lot but then he started sucking off that juice box and he was getting ripped and then he's a fucking douche and he dies i was really relating that guy and they make him gay and then they make him the bad guy and then he's dead what the fuck (laughs) that's like that part where like that guy in the audience was like yelling at kevin smith on chasing amy where he's like he's like i related so well to him what's his name in mall rats fuck it Brody, he's like, I really read so much to him. And then, you know, he's in Chasing Amy. You know, it's not the same character, but, you know, actor-wise. He's like, you know, he's there. And at the very end, he turns to be gay. Well, what does that mean? Means you're fucking gay. (laughs) 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 But, no, I don't know what it is. That's funny because, I like, Sausage Party was a perfect example. That movie crippled a lot. Now, it's like, okay, there's some, like, if it's just a regular, you know, average girl, whatever, she probably can't handle it. I kind of expect that. But sometimes, like, guys, it's like, really? It's like, what the fuck? Well, it's not, it's not even so much of just kind of like, I don't find it funny. It's not so much even that. It's more of just like when people have the moral problem with like, 
they're cartoon fucking sausages. It, it's like the, there's a whole part in Team America World Police where they have like the fucking like puppet sex scene. The puppet sex scene and the fact that they the idea alone they're having a puppet sex scene and they're trying to shoot it like a uh, like a um romantic like romantic top gun top gun what's yeah what's his name tony uh, tony scott tony scott love scene and then then it, so the fact they're trying to sh- shoot it that way and then it just gets starting like it's x-rated and then she's taking like a shit on him <laughs> so like you know it's like that just the idea of like to me that shit's just funny that that's hilarious just because like... the, the fact they they're willing to go there and just push it to that extreme and just the sex scene at the end of the movie, just all this food, just mashing together. And it wasn't, when I actually heard that with what was in the movie, and then I went to go see it, I'm like, oh, that wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was. Maybe we're yeah, just, that's what I thought, too. It's like... We were just fucked up individuals. I don't know. Because, yeah, well, maybe, because I remember somebody's like, yeah, I just couldn't take them. I'm like, what, you couldn't take it, like, when fucking, like, the pita bread guy was taking the fucking balls of, like, the Jewish bagel and rubbing them on his face? Like, that wasn't funny? Well, the, like, that was fucking hilarious. Ultimately, what it is, is, like, there's a part when they shove, like, the Seth Rogen hot dog through a bunch of food all at once. It uh-huh. was like, you know, he goes through the bagel, he goes through the pita bread, he goes through the bun. It's just like, oh, just like, it, it's fucking cartoon food, you know? I mean, I'm not saying show it to your kid, but at the same time, how... It's like, it's funny. It's, I mean, I understand, I understand it's hardcore comedy, but it's just, once again, I'm not expecting to convert the Christian guy over to watch this. I'm just saying that the guy... Well, the Christian guy was lost, like, first 10 minutes in that. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean. Like, we're not trying to convert that guy. It's just, it blows me away when you get these other people who think they're such badasses, and then they can't handle a little bit of extreme comedy. That's all I have to say. And, yeah, the, I, I kind of I, we kind of got off a tangent more about that app <laughs> yeah. than the actual that movie itself. But, like, I loved how it was just kind of an allegory on religion. And it was pretty, even though it was pretty brutal... It was pretty, uh, I think it said it pretty adequately, which was, it was just like, you just can't suddenly shatter people's lives and tell them they're a bunch of fucking idiots and expect them to go along with it. You got to ease them in. You got to do little by little. And mm-hmm. the fact how every single character was a stereotype of some kind kind of made it all right. Yeah, no, and that's what I liked about it. It was just like, it was okay, one, being a stereotype, and two, yeah, this the religious thing. I feel like, you know, when he tries to convert everybody over, saying, I know the truth of, like, the outside world, but nobody's going to believe it right away. you got to ease them in. And then just the ending itself, too, like, you know, for the fact they just decide to, like, murder all the humans in the store. That part, well, plus, you're not expecting that, because it's one of those things, like, you know that somehow the Michael Sarah sausage is going to get out of that little problem he's in, but then he comes down... He's just like, I figured out how we're going to stop him. How's that? He just like, then all of a sudden the head of like the James Franco character just drops down. We just got to kill him. It's like, you're not expecting it to go that dark. And then even though it's not shot very scary, but the idea of the food locking in the humans is like, we're just going to kill them all. That's a fucking scary thought. But at the same time, it's funny as shit the way they do it. No. Yeah. There's just so much good stuff in that movie, but yeah. Ah, even just even just the little things too. There's just like so many small lines. Like I love the part at the very beginning when like the like the main employee guy, who's I guess your main villain of the movie, Paul and Rudd. he's just like yeah, he's just like working and everything. Paul Rudd comes back again on our list, and he's working, and he's like throwing away old food, and then all of a sudden he just has like this tantrum that anybody who's had like some regular job has had at some point. Where he's like, I fucking hate this job. Well, it's just like it's, it's just so real the way he does. He's like kicking the like you know because everyone's scared of this guy. He is like the death bringer, but he's just the most nerdiest looking human possible. And he's going, hey, fucking, 
<laughs> just stick in the the fuck like put the the push trash cam whatever it is. It's just like beating an inanimate object, but it's like the thing is, I feel like that to me is like such a relatable fucking line because we've all been there before. Where like whether you stab someone's house or you you know you fucking kick like a dishwasher or something like that, like something that pisses you off, or you can relate to like even like Office Space. That's the fucking like copy machine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but yeah. Well, that's my number fourteen. Sausage Party, real funny movie. I sometimes kind of feel like it should be higher up on my list, but I don't know. That's just where it happened to land. My uh, number 13 is Don't Breathe. Oh, that was a good movie. I don't have it on my list, but I remember like that was just one of those random ass movies where I was like, I got two and a half hours to kill. Let's see what. Oh, look at uh, Don't Breathe happens to start in 10 minutes. Well, fuck it. Let's go see that movie. That trailer looked kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, I was actually pretty impressed with it. Yeah. Well, the thing about the movie is it does have a little bit of that aspect of kind of like when it opens up like. I don't hate the girl. I am a little bit kind of like later when shit's going down in the movie. I we should we should say spoilers ahead. You already, you already had sausage party and everything else spoiled. But, yeah. But the whole thing about uh, don't breathe. There's that whole part where the girl is. Um, she's like, no, no, no. We can't leave. We can't leave. We gotta. We still gotta get the money. There. That's like the one thing in the movie. I'm kind of like, oh, God, really. But at the same time, though they kind of get across that she's just trying to get out of Detroit and she's just trying to be with her kid. And the one guy who I really want to die dies pretty quickly. And I'm (laughs) glad when he does. He gets knocked off right at the beginning because it's really like a story of like, well, it's these three kids that break into people's houses and steal shit. So right off the bat, you're actually almost like, fuck these kids. I don't care who, who they are. These are all a bunch of little douchebags. And maybe it's just like the older you get. Maybe if you were 12 years old watching this movie, you'd be like, yeah, man, we should book and break into houses and steal shit. That'd be awesome. But when you're like older, you're like, no, fuck these kids. You know what? If they come to my house, I'm going to fucking be just like that old man. Shoot them. Exactly. And there's the whole part where, uh, well, they, they get across that like from, the, I'll say this from the guy who's from the guy who's not the real douchebag. You, this movie, you just called the movie friend zoned. Well, it really is because there's, the okay, there's three guys. Yeah, that's what it's it more about. There's there's the girl in the center, and then there's the two guys that like this girl, and one guy's like the most ultimate stereotypical douchebag, and then the other guy's kind of like the ultimate like pussy friend zone kid, and it's really that combination of this. Why are these guys are all together? Like, it shouldn't make any sense. Like, but I'm, it's obviously the girls bringing them together. The kid, the the, the, the youngest kid, he shouldn't be there because he. I see how the two, how the other two are there. The youngest, uh-huh. though, it makes no sense to me how he got there. I mean, the reason he's there is because his dad, he's there in. His dad has, uh, works for this, um... Security company. Yeah, the security company. And he knows the codes, and he's able to kind of, like, block the code and get in there. And basically what ends up happening is they, uh, say, all right, well, look, there's this blind guy... He got a settlement years back because some, some like, rich family's daughter killed his daughter in a car in a DUI. So, uh, you know what? We could just probably go in there, steal his shit, and get in and out. No big deal. The guy's, the guy's blind. You know what's the most you can do. Turns out he's an ex-Marine, and he's um, Stephen... What? He, what's his name? Stephen Lang? Oh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Well, the- I think that's it. Well, what I like, too, is... He's a Gulf War veteran. I felt like that was the first time that, like, that was, like, a big deal. It's like, oh, he's a crusty old Gulf War veteran. Like, I, you know, you always used to have the Vietnam one. And then kind of prior to that, it was always the crusty old World War II vet. But it's cool to finally see, okay, now we're at the Gulf War guy. Mm-hmm. 
And then as they're going on, it's it's this this part's the big twist, and they kind of get it out of the way pretty quickly. But when they go down in the basement, he has this creepy padded dungeon where this girl is on like a chain on a leash, and he's like, "What the fuck?" And they realize this is the girl who killed his daughter, and they find like, out. Hmm? Oh, this part is just like fucking almost like hilarious because it's like you don't expect it to be this. It's like, oh, what the fuck? I remember like this is the part I was trying to explain to somebody who didn't see the movie, like what was going on here, and they're like, um. Okay, that sounds a little bit weird now. I'm like, no, it's but it's weird and kind of funny. Well, it's like it's one of those so things like up. he's like he's like he's like this isn't gonna bring your daughter back. You're right. It's gonna get me a new one. <laughs> like she's like she's, she's the incubator. Like he says, like he literally he literally has his jizz on in the fridge, peats it up, gets a turkey baster. There we go. See, you'll be back and you'll be out of here in nine months. You know. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, the girl decides, she's like, well, I'm going to free this chick and we're going to get out of here together. And as like she's escaping, I can't remember how she died. Does she fall onto something or does she get shot or she something like shot. that? She got shot. When Stephen right. Lang, when they come in, they tr- he tries to shoot at him. Turns out he accidentally shoots her and killing her as well as the baby that was inside. Yeah, yeah that's right. So he was like, and then he captures the girl. He's like, okay, I'll let you. It's almost like he's being a nice guy. I'll let you go after nine months. You just give me what I want. Oh, you just you just gotta carry my child against your will. Yeah, here I made this really nice, like padded cell made out of like old couch cushions. <laughs> God knows how I did this being blind, but well, I'll say that guy was very much a handyman. Well, I'll say this. I like that movie because it actually was very, it was creepy, but it didn't have too many jump scares. Because the thing that kind of pushes me away from a lot of horror films is jump scares. And that one did not have too many. And it was still creepy. The violence, it's not jam-packed with your average slasher violence, but the violence in it is pretty good. It's, you know, And mm-hmm. uh, it does have a lot of those moments where you're so close, you're so close, but the dumbest thing gets in your way and stops you and brings you back, you know? Uh-huh. But they, well, what they I also made... also like, oh yeah, I was gonna say what I also like about that one too is the fact that the movie kind of starts off and you're like, fuck those kids. I hope that old man kills every single one of them, fucking little pricks. And then mm-hmm. as it turns out later, it's after a while, it's like, oh okay, so the old man is kind of a bad guy too. You know, it kind of twists itself around to like where you makes you like hate these characters at first, and then it switches positions as the movie goes on, so you kind of switch who you actually like and hate. The movie was trying to, I mean, I, I kind of, I kind of had, an, I, I knew it was, there was going to be something fucked up underneath there, you know, but I didn't know what it was going to be exactly. So, mm-hmm. but when I watching the movie, I mean, it was, my whole thing was like, I didn't like all three of them. I was the only one I full on hated. The only one I full on hated. What's the douchey kid? Yeah. And then once they get there, I mean, I feel more than anything, I'm just kind of like, dude, just leave, just leave. Just the friend zone kid, just fucking leave dude you know because it's yeah. like it's not worth it it's not gonna happen just go like you know you're just the you're best trying way too hard to get yourself a girlfriend that's all i have to say it's like jesus christ you're this rich little yuppie kid and you're like hey you know what i'll be real cool i'll get you the keys and the codes to get into these places you know oh my god that'd be so awesome thank you Next, could you get me an AK-47 and the keys to a missile silo? Well, I'll try. <laughs> Thanks, you. It's going to be my job so much easy for me and my boyfriend. 
Yeah, it's like, because this girl is really not a good person at all. I mean, like, even at the end, even when you kind of go, you feel a little bit more for her, she still is a pretty bad person. I mean, obviously, yeah, she's trying to, like, Aladdin herself out of there, but you know what I mean? Like, Aladdin was just stealing food for him and Abu. It wasn't nearly as bad. <laughs> There's one movie you gotta compare it to. <laughs> You know, I just like, I like, if you want, I like that I mean, phrase. She's trying to Aladdin her way out of there. Well, really, when you think about it, the guy is kind of like the, the blind guy is kind of like a Jafar. Uh, her her friend's own friend is kind of like Aladdin. Like she promises she's going to get him his freedom, but he's never going to give give him his freedom. But then yeah. on top of that, though, you know, it's kind of like that with the friend zone thing. And then you know, um, the douchey guy's like Iago. If Iago, Iago is more in control, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like he even looks kind of like Iago. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, but that one was a really fun movie that I felt like just kind of came and went. And I remember I told people, I'm like, oh, dude, you could go see that one. That's actually a pretty cool movie. I was pretty impressed with it. Mm -hmm. That one was pretty good. Well, we'll be moving up on. We on 13 next? Okay, well, now since we saw laughs, saw CG, had some scares, I get to my number 13 movie, and I'm going with Fences. I really wanted to see that. I really did. This is one of those movies that, like, it's still in theaters, I think, at some places. And if you can catch it, go see it. It's actually directed by Denzel Washington, right? Yeah, that's that's the cool thing, too. And I don't, I'm not even too sure if this is his first movie or his second one. I think it, it might be his second. I want to say he directed Anton, Antoine Fuqua. Or Antoine Fisher. Antoine Fuqua. <laughs> I was going to say, he directed a director. That's what he did. He directed Antoine Fisher. <laughs> Antoine Fuqua. Was like, Antoine hey, I'm, I'm trying to... I, I'm trying to direct the Magnificent Seven here. Yeah, well, I'm Denzel Washington. <laughs> Slide <laughs> but, <on> in. <laughs> you know, just like training days, like it's gonna be all it's gonna be all Denzel again. You think you're in control, but you ain't. I was looking at my list and I was thinking of something else. So spoilers, but Antoine Fisher, he directed Antoine Fisher. Yeah, but um, Fences is one of those movies where it's about like 1940s, give or take. Um. They're in, I almost want to say something like something like Chicago or Detroit, one of those kind of towns. I could be wrong. It could be like Cincinnati or anything like that, but somewhere, somewhat north, somewhat back east. And it's this movie that starts off, it's almost got like three acts. The first act, it's almost like you're watching a comedy. It's funny. There's just jokes being said. People are having laughs, all these things like that. It's, it almost could be like, um, like a sitcom. You know, Denzel's cracked them. He's got a funny kind of older best friend. They were both in the joint at one point in time, but now they're working this job. They're pretty much just garbage men and things like that. They're getting by on life, and Denzel's trying to build this fence with his son and so on. And then it kind of gets to act two, and I'm going to say it because it's not worth saying the spoilers, but then it goes hard drama, and things go down, and, you know, they're going on, and he's still trying to build this fence as it goes on, and it's a very slow process and everything like that. And then as act three kind of comes along, it becomes kind of a heartwarming, you know, what makes, you know, family important and certain aspects like that come full center and making this a very well-rounded movie. And I've, once again, I don't want to say a whole lot on it because I think it's worth just watching it because this is just one of those movies. It's a super talky picture. I mean, it literally 90% of it takes place in the backyard. Mm. Like that's where most of the movie is. There's like maybe like a handful of other shots other places. Like, there's one... There's, like, one white guy in the entire movie, too, I think. Well, your, 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 list, is, it's just, your list is autom automatically more artsier and well-rounded than mine. <laughs> but it is one of those movies where it's, like... I mean, it's a, it's a play first and foremost, and the kind of cool thing is I think it starred in San Francisco. Hmm. So, that's kind of neat. But it is totally, yeah, it's, like, you know, Denzel in the backyard talking. And, you know, sometimes they go inside the house. 
then they're back in the backyard and just the story unfolds, you know, throughout a handful of years and everything like that. And it's super good, but I just don't want to spoil it because I just feel it's a movie. You got to see it. And now the only reason I kind of have a little bit farther back on my list, since it is kind of an extreme movie, it's not one of those movies you're just going to throw on all the time and be like, oh yeah, I can't wait to you know have another good old laugh with fences. Cause it is like the, the, the hard drama for sure. Mm-hmm. So it is one of those ones you watch it once in a while, but that doesn't mean that it's not an amazing movie. Yeah, I really did want to see that. That just slid by me. I know it's still playing, so that one is definitely on my list to check out. And Denzel Washington is one of my favorite actors. Oh, and he fucking crushes it in there, too. And so does everybody else, too. Mm-hmm. Violet Davis does, the son does, the little girl does. The Probably, like, his, like, buddy is probably, like, my favorite character almost in there. Like, he's just great. Yeah, there's tons of good stuff in that movie. Fences was really... So I'm not going to say fun because that would sound so weird. <laughs> it's a hoot and a holler. Tra- tragedy in the 1940s is fun, but we make we make it do. But it is that kind of movie where, yeah, even though there's tragedy and all this stuff like that, it, it comes full circle. And I think that's what makes for a good closed movie. Hmm. Yeah. So moving on to number 12. Uh, my number 12, get this out of the way real quick, Sausage Party. Sausage Party. Okay, so yours is there too. I was kind of wondering if you were going to have it up a little bit higher than me, like farther into like the tens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah. no, it was that. No, I, I dug that movie. I liked it. I liked it a lot, but I, I do feel kind of bad. It's not higher up. I don't know. I, I know I'm saying this. Realistically, all 15 of these movies are all pure amazing. There's nothing wrong. It's just like a personal preference, I guess. But exactly, exactly. Well, going to number 12 on my list is mine's Batman: The Killing Joke. Oh, Batman: Killing Joke. Right on. That almost made my list. Yeah, and well, I thought about it because I was like, at first, I didn't put it in my top ten list, and I was like, you know, I, it, it is one of those movies, though, it's not 100% the most perfect movie, you know, I, I will say, yeah, the Batgirl part's a little bit weak, I know that bothers you a little bit more than it bothered me, but at the same time, it's like, dude, you got Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill back again, they're taking, like, one of the most classic Batman books, which isn't really a whole, it's not a very long book in, at first, anyways, it's all of three issues, Mm-hmm. But taking that classic Alan Moore story, putting it together in animated form, and they do the Alan Moore stuff just totally perfect. Whether or not you like the beginning Batgirl part, I would say that that is a little bit weaker. I do understand why it's there, and it does, I think, kind of work to kind of give a little bit more introduction of Batgirl for like what happens to her You know, when the Joker breaks into the house and shoots her and paralyzes her from that point on. But boy, just the killing joke part, uh, killing joke part aside, full on fucking amazing. Well, that's the biggest highlight of the movie is that you get to hear Mark Hamill and uh, Kevin Conroy just almost when it gets to the killing joke part, it's almost word for word. And those guys both just crush it unbelievably. And that's the best part of the movie. The thing with the Batgirl thing, it's not that it totally kills it for me. It's more mm-hmm. than like. It's two things. We got this story that really has nothing to do with the first part, with the last part, other than it's just Batman and Batgirl. And then the other thing that kind of annoys me about it, and it's not like people say that Batgirl's unlikable and she sucks in it. I don't think that. I, do I don't think they're wrong, Batgirl. I don't. I don't think they make her seem as strong as what she usually is. And I, I get that. It's just kind of like here's a moment at time when she was a little vulnerable. And she was a little like just off her game kind of. And I get that. But it's if you're telling the story about her getting shot and how tragic it is, I think it's more effective to show her when she was in her prime doing awesome. And rather than kind of 
focusing on this low point of her career, having her take a break and then get shot, you know? And I, I get what they're trying to do. That still does not kill the movie for me. It's just something I noticed. But what makes up for it is the last half, which is where we get to see bat where we get to see Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill go at it. And then they even have to, to kind of make up for the last half. They give you a little bit of, they give Barbara Gordon a little bit of a happy midway point in the credits to show that she's not defeated by it. She's becoming Oracle. Yeah. And I think also too, probably what made this experience probably even that much more better for me is like, I got to see it in theaters and for the fact that they mm-hmm. barely show these movies, I think they've only showed about three of them realistically in theaters, excluding maybe special screenings or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So to, to see Batman the Killing Joke full on Warner Brothers animation, because DCU, I mean, if you've listened to any of our top movies list the last five years, there's always some DCU movie on there because they just fucking crank out killer movie after killer movie. And it's like they, these need to be in theaters because they're better than any other superhero movie pretty much out there. And they just don't always get the respect that they deserve sometimes. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah, I agree. And I just, I think they're getting there. Because these three, this is what, Cape Crusader Crew, Crew Returns, this one, and then something else went to theaters, right? I know. And I, I kind of juggled between this and, like, I was going to put the Cape Crusader one also on there, too. I like that one a lot. But I just didn't get that one there. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that's my number 12. My number 12. Let me get my 11. 11, I guess. Yeah, we're at 11 now. My number 11 is Magnificent Seven. Oh, Magnificent Seven's. I was actually thinking that might be a little bit higher on your list. I'm sorry. Not you be, you, not, sound, not to, not to you like sound legitimately disappointed. Like, I did, like, oh. <laughs> oh, well. Look, that's not a bad movie. Here's the thing about Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. Now, you're going to, the first couple sentences, you're going to get mad, but just hold it back. Hold it back. Bear with me, all right? Magnificent Seven, thing about Magnificent Seven is it's a by-the-book Western. It's kind of like there's not nothing really that original about it. It is kind of by-the-books, your average Western, same beats, same villains, very simple story. The thing about it, though, there's not a whole lot of that out there anymore. Now every Western, even though I still love Westerns, every Western almost seems to be, it's got to be like a very bleak, dark drama about what it's like being in the West. I mean, Unforgiven by this point almost seems more like a genre Western, some of the Westerns we get now, you know? And this one, Magnificent Seven, it's just a full-on, you know, fuck it. Let's do, like, the superhero Western movie. Let's make it, like, a big action movie. Let's throw lots of explosions in there. It's going to be a good time. And they get a killer cast. Everybody in the movie's awesome. It's not so much that this movie, I'm sorry it's not higher on the list, but it's more than anything, this movie, it's just it's just a very well-made action movie. And it's a, it's a really fun Western on top of that. You know, Denzel Washington kills it. Chris Pratt kills it. Vincent D'Onofrio. Yeah, he's, he's, like the be- he's like the best in that one. And how he's like this soft-spoken guy. He's like, oh, well, I'm just going to, the good book says... To kill any son of a bitch that just crosses my path, you know. <laughs> like, yeah, he's just so soft spoken and stuff, but he's like the most violent one of them all. Uh huh. And then like the uh, the uh, Native American guy with the fucking bow and arrow, and they had yeah, he's badass. He's badass. And then they had a character who I didn't really give a shit about in the original. Kind of made me really empathize and like him. There is the um, Ethan Hawke character, and then they mm-hmm. made him best friends with the the. Um, knife throwing guy who was um 
Bung, uh, Lee Bung, Lee Bung, Lee Bung Hung. Lee Bung Hung? Yeah, Lee Bung Hung. From like the good, the bad, the weird, and I saw the devil, the G.I. Joe movies. Mm-hmm. He just is that character Billy Rocks for the night. Like everybody in that movie, there's not like a weak link in that whole team. And I just like that movie. I, I really did like the movie. It's just, you know, once we actually started putting the list together, there are certain movies I was kind of like, mm, there's a reason I asked for it to spread up to 15 because I didn't want to leave this movie out. So <laughs> Exactly. That, no, that makes total sense. And I will say, yeah, it is. Magnificent Seven is a movie where it's not trying anything new in the Westerns. I think what I like about it, though, is it takes just the Western and just cranks it up a couple notches because I feel like you almost don't get too many Westerns that have that amount of action in it. And the thing is, the movie's kind of a little bit built up. Like, the first maybe, like, hour of the movie just has spurts of cool action here and there, but not copious amounts. But when it gets to that final showdown, it is just like, oh, my God, they took The Magnificent Seven, which is already such an amazing movie, but just, like, cranked it up. It's like, let's just fucking have people dying left and right and gunfire like nobody's business and explosions and a Gatling gun and all this stuff. And to me, it's like, fucking hey, that's awesome. And it is very much like, yeah, like you said, it's very much like mustache-twirling villains black and white, good versus evil. But, you know, like you said, we don't really have that as much as we used to. Everything's a lot more gray now. And even though I love Django Unchained, and even though that's like a genre Western, it still was, it was still trying something a little alternative. And it's kind of cool to see something do an old fashioned Western, but still be, but still just have the budget of like of a, a modern super- flair too. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The superhero thing. Yeah. And well, here's the thing. It's like, did you see Jane's Got a Gun? I wanted to. Okay, well, that movie is like, that's 2016 as well. And that came out at the very beginning of the year. Um, that's a good movie too. And it's kind of like, it's literally like Magnificent Seven if you did it kind of in like the artsier, low budget version. Mm-hmm. Because what it is, is like, oh, it's this girl, you know, her husband gets kind of shot and she goes to town and finds this other guy to come help out who was like her old like ex-boyfriend or whatever. He's like, oh, well, whatever, fuck it. I guess I don't got anything better to do. And so... There's these guys that are going to come to, like, kill her husband and, like, rob him and whatnot. So they defend this house, which is, once again, it's kind of like Magnificent Seven, just on, like, a lower-end scale. But it was still a pretty good movie. Not Magnificent Seven good, but still really good. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. Like, a lot of movies, um, a lot of movies like that, by this point, they seem to kind of, like... I know the the Wild West part wasn't a fun time, but I just haven't seen a Wild West movie in a while. It's like, where's the fun? (laughs) You know? And this movie had that. And that's what I like about it. No, that's a definitely a good one. So what are we on? Number 11? Yeah. Well, from gunslinging to all that stuff, uh, my number 11 is Cafe Society. Uh, that's the Woody, uh, the Woody Allen one, right? Yeah, that was the Woody Allen movie I that came out. I wanted to see that. Jesse, had Jesse Eisenberg as the main character in it. And I, this movie was just, I thought it was fantastic. It was one of those ones I didn't get to see in theaters because, of course, it didn't come to like main theaters. But when it came out later on on DVD, I decided to kind of rent it and watch it. And I was pretty darn impressed. It was kind of like a story. It was it was very like, once again, like all these like modern Woody Allen movies. It's literally just like if Woody Allen was younger, he would have, of course, been Jesse Eisenberg. Same thing with like when you watch Midnight in Paris. It's like, well, that that right there, Owen Wilson, that's literally the Woody Allen character. But that's fine. I think that's a good way, you know, being a writer director. It's like, hey, no, nobody wants to see a 70 year old man like, you know, picking up on girls. <laughs> so instead, I'll just write myself in and have somebody who's young and fresh play it. That hadn't stopped him before. No, yeah, so it's like... <laughs> no, I meant literally in life, yeah, I know. though. <laughs> yeah, literally in life. 
But the kind of cool thing is you got Woody Allen narrating it, so that kind of still at least gives you the Woody Allen thing. And the, sound, the weird thing, though, is Woody Allen's voice, he's almost starting to sound more like uh, Mel Brooks now. Really? It's like his voice is getting all like deep and kind of uh, rough. Let me tell you something about yeah. the Cafe Society. Yeah, about the Cafe Society. Yeah, just there's enough Woody Allen in there, but it's like the weird fusion. But no, it was kind of one of those movies where Jesse Eisenberg, he came out from New York, you know, he was um, this Jewish kid. Or no, wait. No, yeah, he's Jewish in that one. I was like, wait a second, was he Jewish? And he's in, you know, L.A., and he's like, okay, I got an uncle here, whatever. He'll get me a job. I'm not really into movies or anything like that, but he's, a, you know, kind of part of this team. And his uncle's played by uh, Steve Carell. Ooh. And it's kind of funny because they make Steve Carell like this, like, he, he's like this older, like, business guy, but he's got, like, this young 20-year-old, like, girlfriend that he keeps talking about, whatever. And he's like, oh, okay, you know, so you're kind of cheating on your wife, but whatever, that's fine. I'm just here to do my job, do my thing. And then Jesse Eisenberg finds, like, his secretary. He's like, oh, well, I, I really like this girl, and she seems to like this, and she's kind of an anti-sort of society of this rich and famous lifestyle, and they kind of hanging out. Is that Kristen Stewart? Yeah, that's Kristen Stewart. And then it turns out, well, there's, like, twists and turns inside there, but it turns out that, oh, fuck, him and Steve Carell are dating the same girl. And that makes it awkward and weird, so he ends up moving back to New York, and he's got this club with his brother, and his brother's kind of a gangster and everything like that, but they're working it together, Doing it, he's doing the legitimate part of his work in this club while his brother's doing the gangster stuff. And it's it's a talky picture. It's got comedy in it. It's got kind of romance in there and all kinds of different stuff. But it's got that cool 1940s, the 50s kind of era time period. Maybe 30s even. I don't know if it starts off that early. But, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A, you know, a great Woody Allen picture like, you know, like many others. It kind of feels... Sort of like that Midnight in Paris kind of vibe of like, hey, let's go back in time and see, like, you know, kind of remember, like, how it was good back then and so on. But, yeah, no, it, it was one of those ones. I was really impressed with it. I liked it a lot. That, among other movies, was like, you know, that, Fences, uh, Moonlight. Those are three movies I did want to see before we did this. But, you know, it happens. It sounds like what you told me. It sounds like a pretty good movie. So I'll definitely be checking that one out. Yeah, so that was definitely a good one. I think so my I think on. my list of movies I wanted to see is longer than the movies that are actually on my list. Yeah, I, I, it was like one of those ones. There was a handful. There was only about five movies or so I felt like I needed to catch up with, and I kind of went through them. And none of them I felt like broke my top ten list, but there was a couple of them, like Cafe Society, that came up late. That I'm like, that's very close to being on a top ten. Mm-hmm. It was like, I almost, maybe if I watched it again, it might actually minus out some of the other ones. Mm-hmm. But going on to number 10. Okay. Um, this is going to make you mad that it's not higher. It's probably going to make the internet mad that it's even on here. But uh, Batman v Superman is my number 10. No, that's no, that's totally a fine place for it. Because the thing with this movie is uh, we've went into detail probably for about two weeks straight or three weeks straight, after even after the movie was out, uh, about what we thought of the movie. So I'll try and wrap this up quickly here for this one. But basically... I mean, I do have my problems with the movie. I do think, you know, there's no defense for Martha. There's no real, uh, the whole thing with Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor still doesn't sink in for me. And I do think that Henry Cavill could have smiled a little more. But that being said, I think that this movie does a lot of things people don't give it credit for. And And then I... Also, the director's cut makes the biggest difference in this movie. It does. The extra 30 minutes they add makes a lot more sense puts a lot more to it and even makes Fixes Superman. Superman because Superman was the one who was the whole reason why people say like, Oh, Superman just wasn't that good in the movie. Well, it's cause all his scenes were fucking cut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't cut a single Batman scene. 
basically all the uh it, like almost the theatrical cut made it almost seem like kind of like a batman movie where superman was sort of in the role of the main character but it was still more than anything a batman movie where the others were like you know the director's cut almost makes it more of a superman movie and yeah exactly it makes it more like helped. man of steel too like what it started off as yeah and uh but this, the things this movie does right things this movie does right only time in a superhero movie where once wonder woman came up on screen i saw this movie twice in theaters both times every woman in the theater cheered when wonder woman comes in like when doomsday shoots the laser at, at uh batman <clears throat> Wonder Woman saves them and then drops her gauntlets. They have that like every she got that really cool theme. Every lady in the theater fucking cheered on that part. And you can say what you will about other aspects of that movie, but a, a superhero movie to do that, just like okay, okay, we got to give it credit for that right there. And then plus, it was like one of the only times I've seen a superhero movie. Some people complain about this. In some ways, it could be a little lighter, but it's one of the only times I've seen a superhero movie try and take this stuff as seriously as it does. You can see, even though in some ways they kind of maybe miss the mark with things like Martha, they really do get across of like how like the whole Alfred and Batman dynamic, like Jeremy Irons and all of those scenes are great. I actually like the political stuff going on. I'm actually a fan of have, have like Superman going up to the courthouse and trying to explain himself. And then, that whole part, like, I kind of wish she stayed and helped out a little longer, but the whole part where, like, the, the dynamic between Jesse Eisenberg and the uh, senator, I thought when I saw the senator, I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. This character's going to slow down the movie. I actually kind of liked her character, you know? Because mm -hmm. no, she no, was, no. like, it was it was legitimately a character that was, like, I thought I was, like, I'm the evil, Repul I'm the evil, like, you know, senator coming in to suck with Superman. But it was, like, no, she wasn't, actually. She didn't even want to kill Superman. She just needed, she was just an opposing view, and they presented it in a reasonable way. Exactly. No, no, no. And the thing for me is, like, I, you know, Batman vs. Superman, yes, it's not the perfect movie, and it's not kind of the movie that, you know, it's like they're, they're getting very close. They're, you know, there's still a couple steps away, but they're getting closer, you know, each time. But for the most part, though, uh, to me, I still think it's a really awesome movie, you know? I think kind of first and foremost, if you're a super DC fan, you kind of see everything coming. I think that's kind of a bummer. And I will say, the big thing that was the big letdown on the movie, it was the trailers. It was mm -hmm. like, that movie is probably like the pinnacle movie you can point to. That they just really gave away the main plot of the whole entire movie in the trailers. They gave you Act 1, 2, and 3 in there. And, you know, it's not the only movie to do it. A lot of other movies did it in, like, 2016 and 2015. It's, like, it's been kind of a problem for, like, the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. But this movie, to me, felt like the big one of them all that it's probably... I always feel this movie's probably really good if you didn't see any of the trailers. Like, that first watch, without knowing it, and being kind of... Like, if you were surprised, you're like, oh, fuck, they're putting Doomsday in there. That would be fucking awesome, you know? But, like, in the trailer, it kind of gave it away. Gave it away that Wonder Woman was going to be in there. And stuff like that. So it's kind of the bummer. I mean, sort of the bonus was Cyborg. That was the one thing they did not give away. Cyborg and Flash. <laughs> yeah. Well, Flash, they said there was going to be in. They didn't mention anything really about Cyborg, though. Really? I didn't know anything about that. I didn't, know, I didn't hear anything about Flash. That's cool, though. Oh, really? I, I heard that the whole time. They kept, they kept saying that. So that's why like, I was like, okay, Flash, <clears throat> Aquaman. I knew those two guys were going to be in there because they kept talking about it. But Cyborg was like, well, I was like oh, cool, Cyborg. You're awesome. still in action figures of Aquaman for his like five seconds he's in the movie where he pushes a camera away. Yeah, exactly. I do kind of wish that those were a little bit longer, you know, and I think the only reason, here's the thing, if you didn't advertise them at all, 
those little cameos are perfect. But when you advertise a cameo, it makes you kind of assume it's going to be more than that. Exactly. You know, it's the Rhino thing and Amazing Spider-Man 2. Exactly. When you show him in the trailer a bunch of times, you assume he's going to be one of the main villains. Not the fucking last five minutes, if not even less than that, of the movie. Mm-hmm. But no, Batman vs. Superman, I think once you get the director's cut, and even though it makes the movie almost four hours long or whatever the fuck it is, it's just, that really fixes a whole lot of stuff. And it, if anybody's going to complain about, everybody's always complaining about Superman. That's the main thing I was hearing. Oh, Superman this, Superman this. I love Batman, but I didn't like Superman. I was the kind of the guy on the other side where I'm like, no, I actually, I liked everything about the Superman part. I thought the Superman stuff was great. The Batman stuff, the only stuff that I think is kind of weak, and this is in multiple viewings, is I just wish he didn't have, like, he didn't do any of the guns or any of the little bit of, like, killing. I mean, I know one section's in a dream scene. That doesn't bother me at all. It's just, then there's the part in the car. But I do realize that as long as there's something between Batman, it's not like he's physically killing anybody. The car's killing somebody. <laughs> so I, I'm putting a little bit of logic into, like, like my self-defense here. Well, my whole thing with that is I heard Batman kills in the movie. Then I went to go see the movie. And then I'm like, oh, it's a dream sequence. Whatever. And then, like, he rams a car off the side of the road. I'm like, well... Most people be dead, but that guy might be alive. And he flips another car over, he hits another and it car. It blows up. Now they're like, that one might be alive. And there's one that full on blows up. He pulls out like a Gatling gun, boom, she blows it up with a rocket launcher. Okay, never mind. Nothing I can do now. <laughs> He's yeah, that's, killing. That's how it was too the first time I watched it. But it's like, I don't know what it is. I don't know why some people just want to give Batman a gun. There's just, I, I always call them the Punisher Batman fans. They're the people that they want Batman to be the Punisher. They don't want him to be Batman. They want him to literally be the Punisher. And I always, you can always, whenever anybody says, oh, man, I just love it when Batman has a gun, you always can mostly go, what's your favorite superhero? The Punisher. Oh, okay. Makes sense. I get it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Who else do you really like? Judge Dredd. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I see why you want Batman to carry a gun now. <laughs> no, like, um, the whole, uh, Batman, I'll say this, even though I could have done without the killing, I think Affleck's the best Batman. Oh, by far. Another it's, thing this movie did, dialed in. another thing this movie did is because, like, after, things that people don't want don't give a credit for is that like so many batmans it's always like they always feel like they're kind of new to it even the really good ones christian bale still always even though he's probably my second favorite batman he felt like he was still sort of new to it and kind of working into it you know because even like dark knight rises that one he's kind of getting back in the game trying to get back in shape for it so there's always that feeling of just kind of like how does this guy work? How does that guy work? And he's always kind of almost looking from the outsider's perspective. Where this uh-huh. one, it's like, dude, I've been doing this for a fucking while. I'm tired of it. And it's like one of the only times the movie said, you fucking know what Batman is. You don't, yeah, sure. We're going to show you the parents dying at the beginning because you know, we can't get around that. But in every other aspect, this movie's like, yeah, you know what fucking Batman is. You know what he does. Here you go. Yeah, and that's, that's a great thing too. It's just like, yeah, let's just get fucking to it. He's old. He's been doing it for a while. If you want... Put any one of your Batmans before this. If you want him to be animated series Batman later in life, good. Slap him there. If you want him to be Batman Tim Burton universe, boom. There you go. That's who it is, you know? If you want it to be a continuation of Dark Knight, it can be. You know what I mean? Like, I feel that's kind of how they let it go. It's like, you know what? Whatever you know about Batman, that's all you need to know. Mm-hmm. No, Batman versus Superman, uh, that is one of those movies that, once again, yeah, not the perfect movie but still, you know, and most of them, every time I watch it, I like it more and more. So, Same here. Yeah. You know, even Jesse Eisenberg, okay, he does sometimes do a little bit more on the Riddler, but I was actually, I was more impressive than when I watched the movie because when I remember the trailer, I was like, oh, that's fucking the weirdest choice ever. But as I watch it, I'm like, you know, 
I don't know, Jesse Eisenberg, he's one of those actors I think he kind of just grew on me as time went on. The more movies I kind of see in, or him in, I'm like, you know what? He's a pretty good actor in all kinds of different ways, and he can win me over in, all, in a lot of different things. And even like Super, even if it might be a little bit on the over-the-top, a little bit kind of theatrical, I still kind of, I still go with it. I still go with it. You know what I mean? I might, might be a, maybe in Man of Steel 2 or whatever the hell comes next for him. We'll see what happens next. I hope he does good. The thing is, I mean, he's a good actor. I just didn't like him as Lux Luthor. And even though this would be very, like, insulting to his performance, I'd almost be fine with them coming in like, this was in the comics. This is in the, I'm not making this shit up. Well, that is Lux Luthor Jr. Here's real Lex Luthor. <laughs> they actually, that would be very insulting to his performance and to him, like, look, dude, it's, it's not panning out. You're Jr. now, okay? Here's yeah, your dad. Yeah. Dwayne Johnson. So I don't know how that happened. Maybe like playing well, with that, cloning that, and genetics or something. I don't know. Maybe he's playing with his clone machine and there we go. But I, I mean, I think, I still think Dwayne Johnson would be the perfect Lex oh, Luthor. Yeah. The, the rock is like the ultimate, like Lex Luthor. Cause the thing about Lex Luthor is in a lot of this stuff. I mean, in the olden days he looks white, but over time he stopped looking like a white guy. He like, you know, in the animated series, he looks like he's like, he could be either Mexican or black or something like that. He just looks like a darker skinned guy. So I feel like The Rock would have the he would have the physique of it. He would have the intelligence of it. He would have everything. He has the charisma. I, be, uh-huh. I mean, I've heard The Rock in other movies, and he comes he, in interviews. He comes across as a really smart, well-read guy. So I'm sure yeah. he could do it if he wanted to. But either he's Black Adam instead. So, but whatever. Well, that's kind of the main thing. I think that's that's the next step that I think DC just needs to make the, the transition into full-on being like the perfect comic book movies is they just need to leave the artsiness behind and just go, no, 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 just do what it says on the page, in a right. sense. I think, because that's the downfall, is like, they're still, and, and the main thing is, it's because they still have the same kind of crew as Dark Knight. And I'm not saying Dark Knight, amazing movie. I love one of my favorite movies. But that's kind of like, that was a perfect movie for its time period. We need to make the next step. And I think the thing is, is you got to drop the artsiness and just do what's on the page. Because that's what, Jesse Eisenberg, that's the artsy version of Lex Luthor. That's the, hey, Let's make him kind of modern. Let's make him kind of hip. Let's make him young. Let's make him a kid. You know, blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. What we want is we want fucking Lex Luthor that we see in the animated show, on the comics, in the page. Let's make him that guy. Bench pressing while throwing out equations to solve cancer. Exactly. That's what I mean. I think that's just the the next step they got to make. And I know it's like, you know, people are kind of always complaining. Oh, Zack Snyder, this Zack Snyder. That's like, okay, Zack Snyder's a really good guy. But I do think it is even come to the point where it's like, you know, He's done a bunch of movies so far. They've been all great. I'm not complaining about them. I think Watchmen's one of the best ones he's done. But let's let the next guy take the reins. Speaking of which, should we move on to our next uh, movie? Yes. Yeah. See, that's how Batman is. Batman always Batman always feels up time. You think you're going to be tough by someone else, but you ain't. <laughs> so what, what are we on? 10? My 10? Yeah, you're 10. My 10 is Deadpool because mm. we, we, when, when you think you're done talking about superheroes, more show up. Exactly. Uh, my the rest of my list is mostly superheroes and Disney. I'm not gonna lie, spoilers. But yeah, Deadpool was awesome. Yeah, Deadpool was one of those movies where, once again, it's another one of those trailers that I feel like if you just didn't see any of the trailers, or if you only saw the first trailer, most of the first trailer is always fine. It's the second one that they seem to kind of spoil a little bit more on. You know, once again, it did kind of give away the whole plot, but. You know, when you're watching Deadpool, you're watching it a lot of times more for the comedy, the one-liners, and the violence. And by that standard, 
it delivered so well. And it did like the perfect start for Deadpool. They didn't throw any of like the weird stuff. Cause I know some of like the extreme Deadpool fans were like, but he didn't teleport and he didn't do this and that. It's like, yeah, but if you put that all in one movie, fucking mom and pop in Oklahoma are going to fucking have a heart attack because they're going to have no idea what's going on. They didn't have left brain, didn't have right brain talking back yeah, and they, forth to him. Like that would make it very confusing. Yeah. I mean, in the, that's one of those ones. I don't even know if that, that, that might not even have to come for a while. Like that stuff. Yeah. I like, I love that stuff in the comic books. But I think in a movie, you, you got to ease yourself in. And I thought Deadpool was the perfect ease in. It was like, okay, it's an X-Men movie. You know what X-Men is, right? Yeah, perfect. Here's a guy who's a funny X-Men. Oh, okay, let's try that out then. And then by doing it where it's an origin story, but we're not going to do it the same way. We're going to alternate back and forth between now and the origin. That was one now, of the smartest things about that movie. Oh, yeah, totally. Because if it would have played out straight... Like the you know first half was because it's really like a two act movie. That's kind of the goofy thing too. It's not even a three act movie. It would have been this origin story, and then you would have jumped into the revenge story. And I think just the pacing of it would just you would have been it would have been felt too two thousand four. Yeah, in a sense, that would have been the thing. It's like God was it gonna be? He's never gonna throw a fucking punch till like the halfway point of the movie, or he's never gonna have the costume on. But instead, by going back and forth, and even starting out right in the costume, it was like, oh, this is a great way to balance it. And how many you movies know. open up? How many how many superhero movies have the superhero getting pegged by his girlfriend? Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, well, it doesn't open up with that. would be funny if that was the opening. Like, literally, <laughs> they could like, open up on that credits. one number two. Number two, they could have an opening similar. I mean, they already have, like, just the opening credits just being, like, starring God's Perfect Idiot, a hot chick, a CG girlfriend, directed by an overpaid tool, written by the real heroes here, you know. Yeah, exactly. So it's got all that in there. But that movie was just like such a perfect one. And then, you know, at the same time has a great moral in the story, you know, good romance, good action, good all kinds of stuff. Bunch of great actors. Colossus is fucking amazing. Like that's probably like the best rendition. I, I mean, I like the other guy who played Colossus, but at the end of the day, it's like, dude, this, this seven guys put together did a fucking amazing job. Plus this movie did a lot with, well, what a hack. Cause if you read the comics, Deadpool goes everywhere. Deadpool's whole thing is he's interacting with a different Marvel character. Sometimes it's the X-Men, sometimes it's Spider-Man, sometimes it's Daredevil, sometimes it's Captain America, sometimes it's all the Avengers. He goes everywhere. This movie legally can only keep in its rights to X-Men. So it's like... Which is fine, because that's how he started off anyway, so it's like, keep him who he, who he is at the beginning. That makes it easy to, like, understand, I think. I think it makes sense, too. I mean, it's totally, it's totally fine, but it just, it still limits him. It still limits him. And then how many X-Men movies have come out and how many characters he actually can interact with or how many we got we to gotta introduce. In the movie, I mean, I don't know anything about this character. Ajax was the villain. Ajax yeah. is such an oddball, random character. And they they got the... I mean, I don't. I can't say if they did it. I know they made him look we, really different because in the comics, he has no eyelids and he has no lips. He's actually an ugly-looking guy. But the movie still did something with an oddball character and still made actually... For being as kind of like, you know, the British villain, he actually, that character actually, his dynamic, his, their di dynamic together, which is mainly just Wade talking shit to him and just him being mm -hmm. able to take it. It actually worked pretty good. You know, how do you, how do you hurt the guy that can't feel any pain? You know? No, exactly. When the thing too is really everybody's an oddball character except for Colossus. Mm -hmm. He's the only one. And the only reason Colossus is not really an oddball character is because he's been in a couple X-Men movies so far. He technically might be a little bit oddball if he hadn't been anything, but He's kind of like your gateway character, and then everybody else, they just picked, like, fucking random-ass, like, characters that might have only appeared in, like, a couple issues, and that's it. But I think that's kind of cool. More than I'm just happy they, even though it's only just for a second, I'm glad Bob was in the movie. So I was watching the movie, like, yeah. 
Bob's probably not going to be in the movie because he's an agent of Hydra. So that's probably not happening. And then when he goes against that one guy, he's like, Bob? I'm like, oh, fuck. And that's one of those ones like to like anybody who's a super Deadpool fan is like, oh, dude, that's fucking amazing. That's like one of the best characters. And then like and just I'm, just that little mention that that's all you need. That's all sometimes you need. And I just want to say this. This kind of says something about how good the movie is. If you and me can like it. And then this last part right here. My dad, like his favorite movies are like, you know, The Great Escape, you know, The Wild Bunch, like all of these old timey like Westerns and war movies. One of his favorite movies right now is Deadpool. This yeah, is one of figure. his movies. And that says a lot. Where you can get you and me, guys who read the comics and love the character and love the, and, you know, and then like my dad likes the movie too. That says something right there. Well, the weird thing about Deadpool is I was even surprised, like, on opening day, I'm like, oh, this movie's going to be, you know, there'll be people here, but, man, how crowded is this movie really going to be? It's fucking Deadpool. It's like, you know what I mean? That's only going to appeal to, like, the hardcore fans. And I go in there, and it's like, fucking, there is five-year-old children dressed as Deadpool, and there's, like, <laughs> 70-year-old grandmas wearing Deadpool t-shirts. Like, what the fuck? What, where, what happened? Like, like I, I never saw this progression. And it was like, this is day one. It's not like... You know, this was like two weeks later and everybody like explained to each other like how good that movie was. It was like, no, this is fucking day one. That movie was jam packed. I was so surprised that everybody kind of showed up for Deadpool and it won over so well. And that's a good thing because that's sort of what X-Men needed. X-Men needed Deadpool really bad because let's say if if we didn't have Deadpool, we would have just had the last X-Men movie, which was still good, but it wasn't really anything fresh enough as it should have been. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not any of our list. It's on my list. I guess it's probably not it's on your not list. It's not on my list. Yeah. Like, I don't even know. I, the movie came out and I was like, well, I'll get it at some point. <laughs> I don't need to get it today. Well, <laughs> let's just say that. I Once again, I enjoyed it. I probably liked it more than a lot of other people did, but yeah, it just wasn't new enough like Deadpool was. Exactly. Well, carrying on before we go on too long. Number nine. My number nine is Kubo and the Two Strings. Oh, awesome. This is one of the movies I didn't get to see, but I really did. I'm kind of bummed I missed it in theaters. This movie right here, it's like, uh, I always like stop motion animation and it, Leica Studios. It's literally at that point where you're, I'm kind of watching like, is that real? Is, is that, is that CG or is that like stop motion? I literally, it's one of the few times I find myself asking that it's only in facial expressions where I can really tell it's stop motion. And this movie, I mean, I don't really want to spoil it, but it's one of those movies where it's like it just from an artistic angle, just from an artistic viewpoint. I like the movie a lot just from, Mm -hmm. you know, if you don't like the story, if you don't like the characters, how visually stunning the movie is and the work these people did to get the movie done, that alone is worth seeing it. It's, it's really kind of a technical Marvel in that aspect. And then anything stop motion just for that alone is makes it a really cool and then if you get to the, then like the other thing about the movie is there is a little bit of a twist I didn't see coming, but it also goes a particular angle where I was like, wow, I've, they don't usually do that in a kid's movie. Maybe one, maybe that might happen to one character, but in this aspect that doesn't, I'm not going to say what it is, but it gets a little darker near the end. And I was really surprised to see that it was just like, wow, huh. when it rains, it fucking pours Jesus. But it was a uh, still a good movie. Eve, I heard some people say it's pretty looking, but it doesn't really, there's not a whole lot there. I thought there was a little bit more there than people are giving it credit for. And just for how beautiful it is alone, just visually, I'd say it's worth seeing even worth yeah, owning. What... I wouldn't mind getting that movie someday. 
yeah, that's one of those ones I, I kind of wanted to see that. I just never got around to it. I don't know why I didn't. just kind of came and went. And I feel kind of bad because it probably is one of those movies that not everyone really went out and see. It's like those kind of movies that get good reviews, but then do they make enough to make hope? I mean, obviously, they probably make enough to continue on. Not like, oh, we're shutting down the studio. But it is one of those ones. Like, it's always kind of a bummer when those movies don't do as good as they should. Well, the thing about Leica Studios, it's very weird because those movies do very they, – they do enough to kind of get by. But Now, what's the other movies they did? They did uh, Paranorman, which I didn't see. Didn't see that either. Coraline. Didn't see that either. <laughs> Box Trolls. Didn't see that. That one looked a little bit goofy. That looked a little too much for me. Box Trolls was good. It was good. I, I was going to say, it's probably good, but like I really don't like that weird, like that kind of like Tim Burton. kind of. Uh... Well, it's not really British. It just kind of reminds me like sort of like that, even though I, I know the movie's British, but I mean, that sort of like Tim Burton. It's like, it's like James and the Giant Page. I never liked that. I always had a hard time with like um, the weird kind of misshapen type characters. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like, and maybe this is just as a kid, like that growing up watching Batman and X Men, it was hard for me to take an animation that wasn't like realistic. Get anatomically correct, goddamn it! Yeah, like I don't know what it is. It's like it, now, as older, I can take it a little bit more of that kind of stuff. But I think that's the main reason why I never liked Nickelodeon as a kid because all the animation was weird and goofy looking. You know, and also, I, yeah, I never liked James and the Giant Peach. <laughs> I never liked Nightmare Before Christmas. I like all these ones. There's always people are like, what? You didn't like that? I'm like, no, I, I like serious anime, which that makes you sound like fucking pretentious. <laughs> no, I like my animation to be serious where people wear costumes and fight others. <laughs> <laughs> but no, Kubo looks like a cool one, though. That looks more like up my alley. But yeah, like Coraline's one of those ones. I always kind of wanted to see that one just to see it. Now, that same one did Corpse Bride, too. No, that's uh, Tim Burton and Warner Brothers. That's basically trying to be a spiritual successor to uh, a Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, Coraline, it's the but same director. Tim Burton one too. Oh, okay, oh it's yeah. the same director from Nightmare Before Christmas, but it's actually written by Neil Gaiman. And what's good about Coraline is it's actually when it gets down to it, it's a horror film for kids. Huh? Yeah, that one always just looked like an interesting one too. I'm just. Never saw it. It's unsettling. It's kind of creepy, but it's visually... Be- it's like all these... Stu- the only studio like a movie I have not seen is um, Paranorman, and I liked everything else I've seen. I really like Coraline. I liked Box Trolls. This one, I think this one might be my favorite of all of them. So, Huh. Yeah, I'll have to take a look at that one. Well, continuing down the list, on my number nine, I got 10 Cloverfield Lane. Ooh, that was really good. That movie was fucking impressive. And it was one of those movies. It literally just kind of dropped like, hey, what are you doing in two weeks? You know what? You're going to be at the theater seeing fucking John Don't answer that. (laughs) Yeah. I already know. Mary Elizabeth Winstead and then this other guy who's really good. I can't remember what his name is. But all three of them are good. And I just, it's that simple movie. It's like, you see this trailer. It's like, they're in a fucking bomb shelter. They got music playing. It's like, what the fuck's going on? Looks like shit's going down, but I don't know what. It's somehow connected to Cloverfield, which I never even saw, but who cares? This 10 Cloverfield Lane, I'm fucking down. It could be a direct sequel. I don't give a fuck. I'm still, be, I'm, I'm already sold, you know? And that movie, it's just like, you get, like, I mean, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, that's probably like my favorite actress of like the modern era. And then you get John Goodman, who's like the ultimate classic actor An American right now. treasure. Yeah. And then the, the other guy too, I was like, I don't know that guy's name, but that guy did a fantastic job in it. But that's it. It's like, you really just have three main characters. You know, there's a couple other people that sort of show up for split seconds. But other than that, though, you're watching how these people live in this like bomb shelter underneath. 
and how they interact. And even just the way it starts off where Mary Elizabeth, she's in this like accident. All of a sudden she wakes up and she's fucking tied to this bed. And it's like, what the fuck's going on? Like, where am I? And John Goodman comes in and explains. And it's, you know, John Goodman, everybody's dad. It just seems kind of like, well, it's John Goodman. But he's like, yeah, I found you outside. There was a disaster. So I, out of the kindness of my heart, I brought you down here. So you should be grateful. Here, have some supper. Like his whole, that whole, like that movie's intense. And John Goodman does such a good job of just bringing on the scare factor. Cause plus as that movie goes on, you are kind of double, you are kind of guessing like, did something happen? And then when you find out something did happen, but you're still not entirely sure what. And then you find out, Oh wait, John, John Goodman might, might not be as innocent as we think he is. So the movie, it does always have you guessing. And it's just, it is a really, I, I forgot that movie. That one might be on my list somewhere now, but <laughs> that was a, uh, that was a, that was one of those movies I was just watching. It was just very unsettling, but very good at the same time. And then it was just funny, too. That's the thing. Is that a lot he of went humor. Back and forth. Yeah, yeah it, it was like, and that, that's also one of my favorite things. I love when movies like funny, and then all of a sudden it's scary. And then it's funny again, and then it's scary. So you don't even know how to go. Like, the part where, like, his VHS collection is like, now make sure you rewind those when they're done. I have them in a specific order, so if you're going to watch them, you know, he had all these, like, little rules, but it was kind of, like, hilarious. Or it's the part when, like, he's getting kind of creepy, and he's all, like, they're playing, I think, Scramble or Charades, and he's all, like, well, for instance, Mary, she is, what, what, he can't figure it out, she's a mid-twenties, what, you know, he can't get it right, and he says, like, lady, he's like, oh, try to be more specific next time. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that kind of shit, you know? No, yeah, and that that movie was just such a marvelous fucking film. And yeah, pure amazing. I, I was really impressed with that. I actually kind of wish I owned it. I don't own it yet, but that's definitely one to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of forgot about that one. I kind of wish it was on my list somewhere. Yeah, at least we got to talk about that. That's yeah. all that matters. Exactly. Long, right? We're going to put a pin in it about right there. We were going on a little bit longer, so it's like, well, let's just split it up, make it more easily digestible. But there you go. There's halfway through just about of our top 15 favorite flicks of 2016. Ah, so many good ones to watch. Well, make sure you tune in in about a week or so, and we'll finish off the list. Till then, take care. Thanks for listening to the Old Man Orange Podcast. Check out our website at oldmanorange.com for even more podcasts, cartoons, videos, music, and more. Send us an email at oldmanorangepodcast at yahoo.com. Be sure to subscribe, share, rate, and review us on iTunes, Podomatic, or any of the other fine sites we might be located on. And if you want to help out even more, click on the Amazon or GameStop links on our webpage before you make any purchases there. Won't cost you a penny, but it sends us a little something our way. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week to Old Man Orange.